Living on the Ledge. Season 2, Episode 4. Listening to Living on the Ledge on the Giggles Live Radio Network, and somehow we, our programming has changed. What the heck? I know. What? How did that happen? It was, it, so it, if, if you like this, you'll like that. They weren't even close on this one. No, no. It's like if you like Goodness. this, you'll like Marty McFly. Yeah, we're watching the sinking of the Titanic, and then it pulls up something that's uh, <laughs> nothing to do with the Titanic. That's for sure. But anyways. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon to you. How is everything? Wow, that was an abrupt end there with the music. Doing good. I I just was thinking about the Marty McFly and the vanishing picture of his family. I mean, that looks like my um, AAA card. I had to go into AAA and get a new card because I'm missing like six numbers from my AAA membership. (laughs) (laughs) And it was was funny. Like, I mean, if you were going to call to get something like a jump start, I mean, and you don't have the proper sequence of numbers, they're going to say, you're a (laughs) non-member. I have a problem with what I love about AAA is I have a problem with remembering because it's like you pay every year or every six months. And they'll send you reminders, but you're like, oh, yeah, that's still three. Because they send you reminders. It's like three or four months yeah. out. But also, like, they're okay if you don't pay it on time. Like, they're, like they'll like they still give you service and stuff. If you're, like, I remember one time that I did it, and then I looked, and I was like, oh, it's my, it's like four months overdue. And so I just called and got it straightened up. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You don't lose your membership just because yeah. you stop paying. Yeah, why would you lose your membership just because you stop paying? <laughs> stop paying, I mean. <laughs> hey, the, the one that I have a complaint about that... Um, I, I went into Vaughn's Market the other day, and um, they have eight brand new self checkouts. And you're talking about like oh. like eight o'clock in the morning, and there's only one checker working, and all eight of those self checkouts are closed. And there's like nine people stacked up in that one line. Yeah. And oh. I mean, if they're going to use me as an employee to help check out, I want to start my shift when I'm there. You know, I mean, I don't want to have to wait around until. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you, I, that's I, the whole point of the automated thing. Is that and if they want to give me keys to the place, I'll come in and I'll start early. I mean, I don't mind working overtime. <laughs> yeah, I hear that the uh, I hear that I hear that the medical benefits is good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the Christmas party. I always like the self checkers of America's Christmas party. <laughs> Love it. We're gonna head on up here and get a good look see and see what Oxnard's looking like today. It's been a little man, it feels like it's been forever since we've been up here. Yeah, they, they did a nice job down below with the landscape. Have you noticed that the landscape is r- really nice down below here now? Well, that's beautiful. It's almost like a putting green. Yeah, especially since they cleaned out uh, Terry's car after that unfortunate incident last week. Yeah, there was a lot of um, residual splatter on it still. Yeah, it happens. It happens. Uh, yeah. I mean, they can't expect us to do touch-up paint up here around windows and not drop something down. I mean. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. All right, so we have some sports going on, a little bit of MMA fighting, very uh, butt whipping going on up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, I'm looking forward to this this big uh, Jake show. It's got to be so. This is releasing 
Yeah, it's still good. Well, yeah, we'll we can get it like about maybe four days. Yeah, this will be up there while it's there. So maybe. June 30th, if you haven't got your tickets yet to the Giggles Live show, we're moving back outdoors. It's very exciting, and we're going to have a lot of fun and a lot of special guests, too. It's going to be kind of like a bunch of people show. Yeah, and um, I'm bringing out some old school prop comedy that I haven't done since COVID. I love that. I, I hope that you can find a back of the F upper. Yeah. Of some sort. And in, in, in still in mint condition, unused in the box, maybe. Nice. Yeah, I heard that they're they're selling those on Goldens. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Auction site. <laughs> yeah, I, the one that I remember was the first prototype that had the the battery on the outside of the case. We couldn't fit a battery inside a compartment on it, so we kind of just used rubber bands to hold a nine volt battery. I think that that looked good. I think it looked safe. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't look like the little sparks coming out were were big enough to really hurt anybody. No, and if you touch the circuit board, I mean, you were okay. Yeah, you just gotta ground. You gotta be grounded. Where yeah. where rubber soles? That's not that hard to ask. Or a, a wrist strap that grounded you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that show, and then of course down the road we have our big sports expo. We keep that's what we end up always talking about because it's just such a yeah a fun new adventure for us. Yeah, that, that was such a fun event that sports expo. <clears throat> and I'm still thinking about maybe trying to get Olden to come back. I think that that would be a good. Um, I think that that would be a good thing to have him back. I think that there's value, even though that he did it before. It'd be, there's value in bringing him back again. Yeah, um, just um, even if he comes as a guest, just to hang out with us. I mean, that would. Yeah, we'd have him do some autographs for an hour, take yeah. some pictures. That's the one thing. There wasn't a lot of picture taking, which I, I think if we set up an area where it's a little more conducive to taking a picture, maybe we would get that a little bit. So we'll figure that out. We'll, we'll figure. I'm gonna. What would be nice something. too is if you had some props in the background that would put things into scale. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's how true. tall old was. Well, remember we had the uh, even though I think we put I put it up high, so it wasn't accurate. Remember I had the height chart. Yeah, that's right. It was a growth chart. Yeah, the growth chart for uh, Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt. Yeah, I had that over there. I ran across that. It's in storage right now. Oh, the, the two Brandons. Yeah, that's got to make an appearance back out there. Yeah, the Brandons will be back up, even though uh, I believe Brandon Belt's in Toronto and Brandon Crawford's still here on the, uh, still here in the San Francisco uniform for the Giants. Oh, nice. It's always interesting when you see players in different uniforms after you've watched them play for the same team for so long. Was there anything that you, when you checked out on the LeBron issue, was LeBron going to another team to play his final season? Oh, you know, that's interesting. I haven't, hadn't looked. Oh, okay. I, I started to go in there. It and was, it, it might've been um, fake news, but I mean, I, I thought it said that he was going to go to Golden State to finish out his final season. That might've been a, uh, it also might've been a meme making fun of him too. Oh, okay. That, oh, you know what? It's the top search is LeBron James Warriors. Oh, okay. He is retiring with the Warriors. What? Okay. Uh, see, I thought I was um, mistaken when I first took a glance at it. You know. Whoa, that's a big story. I know, and it, it's just hidden in the news because of the missing sub right now. So with the mi- missing sub, it kind of just it probably didn't get the hype. I that I have. Here's my problem with LeBron, dude. You're chasing rings, like. Build a team around where you're at. Like, yeah. you're, like you're, the Lakers aren't good enough, so I'm going to go to the Warriors. Yeah. It, what kind it, of crap is easier. that? Oh, okay. Luckily, I'm not a Warriors fan, so I don't have to deal with how I feel about it. 
Oh yeah, so this has been a this has been a, a, something that's kind of been in motion here for a few days now. Oh, it has. Okay, let's see. Yeah. Um, so they, today's the day that, that apparently he he said it that he admitted. Okay, it. he he announced it to the public. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I thought for sure that that was just a rumor. Well, I guess if you're if you can live with yourself <laughs> going where you think you have the best chance to win a championship every year, but he's gonna do it. Looks like one last season is what it looks like. So. And f finish out as a, a warrior. Finish out as a warrior. He probably figures that's his best chance at winning a, a championship and going out on top. That's what I'm figuring. Yeah, because it is. I mean, they were the top team in the NBA last year, right? Yeah, they were. So, they won the championship. Yep. Yeah. So if, you, if you're going to go out, go go big and go with a good team. Yeah, exactly. Go go with a team that uh, that already has the pieces in place. That way, you don't have to do that much. Yep, <laughs> putting together something that works. He, you know, I was a LeBron fan until the first time that he signed that free agency deal, that big debacle, where he held a big press conference and he's like, because um, he went to Miami. He was because he's he's born and raised in Cleveland, became a high school phenom in Cleveland, and gets drafted by Cleveland. Then when free agency comes up, you're assuming oh he's going to stay with Cleveland. So he he. Instead of doing it like a normal human being, he throws a special on ESPN where they're going to sit and they're going to talk about it. Well, he ends up revealing that he's going to Miami, which I don't think a lot of people were really expecting. <laughs> but then um, another all-star player, Chris Bosh, went at the same time. So now they've got, they're put together the super team. But the way he did it was like so rude. I can only imagine how jaded the Cleveland fans had to feel after that happened. And, he did go back and get them a championship later, though. So Okay. That's why I was going to ask you if it was the the year that they had won the championship or if it was before. Yeah, he went and got the championship a little bit later after he got some chops and won some championships with the other guys. But yeah, so he so he did go back and make right on it. So I guess I got to give him credit for that at least. But yeah, he had some he had some issues. Hey, did you notice when we were pulling up here that they're having an open reindeer audition casting call for the show on the thirteenth? Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, that's right. It is Christmas in November or Christmas in July. In July, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. I really like that. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, there's one that even has this um, wardrobe that's red, white, and blue. I mean, like he's festive <laughs> for Christmas and for the Fourth. Fourth of July, and yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see if we're able to um, to launch a few out and see if they're. You know, eventually one's going to fly. Yeah. I mean, you strap enough rockets on something. Chuck's proved that with his um, That's true. Wiley Coyote tribute. Yeah, that is. You it, put a big enough rocket on anything, it'll fly. His annual Wiley Coyote tribute where he he puts a bunch of rockets on the, the animals that aren't, aren't paid for in full and just yeah. shoots them off. Shoots them off into the sky. Yeah. Vanderberg gets a little bit of credit for that, for uh, helping him out and clearing the airspace, but... Oh, that was another one that I, I made a post on um, Facebook today about was um, we've got the launching. I think it's going down tomorrow. Is um, SpaceX launching tomorrow? Oh, is it? Yeah. And um, I've never seen the inside of a SpaceX capsule. And I, I saw this picture and I was looking at it and I'm like, those seats that they use inside that look like the identical jump seats that were from an 80s Subaru Brat, remember? <laughs> they look like um, they didn't do anything but maybe salvage those from people who had a recall on those and they used them for SpaceX. 
Wasn't I? I didn't. The space shuttle have the front seat that you everybody had to slide up together with. Yeah, it, it was almost like the big seat from the um your your mom's LTD or Crown Vic. You know, I mean, it was like you could four passengers wide and the folding armrest in the middle. Everybody sat the same distance from the windshield. Yeah, <laughs> no matter how big you were, <laughs> that was the worst. And the, the one that I used to remember, like with the the station wagon, is remember the station wagons where you you sat facing oh facing backwards. Back Oh, those were amazing. And that used to always piss your parents off because you'd end up getting back there and you were like, okay, I'm going to flip this guy off or I'm going to make a face (laughs) at someone. I'm going to stick my ass over here. I mean, it's funny because as a kid, you don't realize how easy it is to piss off a stranger. Yeah. yeah. You have no idea that you, like a little kid flipping you off pisses you off. Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. You're getting your dad into fights out on the highway. <laughs> well, and the one that, I mean, even as an adult now, when whenever someone comes by and uh, I do something stupid and I, I know they're flipping me off, mm-hmm. the thing that pass, pisses them off the most is if you just wave and smile at them <laughs> or if you blow them a kiss. You ever notice that? That just pisses them <laughs> off even more because they don't get you. They don't get your goat there, you know? Yeah, I think that that's a good idea. I think I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to yeah. start blowing kisses at people yeah. more. We don't have enough of that in the United States. Yeah. Where is the love gone? <laughs> <laughs> well, the one that I occasionally do is if I'm behind somebody and they do some kind of a bonehead traffic move, I like just raising my hands up, you know, just in like in awe, you know, I mean, yeah. like and. <laughs> and, then, and then sometimes even if I go past them, I mean, I pass them um, and they're in a turning lane, I'll bless them as I go by, you know, <laughs> just so they know a little bit further down the road, they got my blessing to continue. I've gotten so laid back when it comes to driving that I'm almost like, like I just let everybody go and I don't, I don't let any of it bother me anymore. It's kind of a, a, a weird um like way of grabbing my uh, freedom, I guess. It's true because it, I think during the whole pandemic thing, when you jumped on the the freeway to go to work in the morning, it was just like there was no traffic. It was just like I mean, you couldn't believe. It's like, is there anybody? It's kind of like I mean, post op. Yeah, apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Yeah. yeah, that's a good. That's a big word. That's like a five dollar word there. That's a really big word. Yeah, almost as big as Balcom Canyon Road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another big word. <laughs> and monosodium glutamate. <clears throat> so I'm excited. We've got a, had had a lot of cool stuff going on with the network. We've added a couple of new shows. The the port show that I'm doing with uh, Stephen Gama and Tommy, the port and stuff. We have uh, me and my buddy Shane Murphy, who was like a, a a buddy of mine in Sacramento for my through my early days in comedy. He's still a friend of mine. Um, he lives in Indiana now. We're going to start doing some phone conversations, sharing some road stories and okay. different stuff because we've always had this weird uh, ability to mine out crazy stories out of each other. Um, and then our friend Sarah Newell, we're going to do a show. The concept is, um, and I think it's, it, you know, it, like all of these things, they kind of evolve to what they become. But we're starting out, and I'm kind of going to teach her about sports in, like, a true crime way. Oh, that's actually an interesting show. Yeah, so I'm going to be teaching her about, uh, you know, football players who've killed and stuff like that. And so, um, and she's excited about it. She loves the idea of doing that and kind of learning about these characters that have, you know, these things. In, In their background. 
Yeah, and because she's not a sports fan at all, she's not she's not going to be aware of very much of it. Like she's you know OJ, everybody knows about OJ, but there's there's a lot of football players who have uh, have skeletons in the closet. There's a lot of them in jail right now because of <laughs> because of uh, of that exact offense. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a few mitorous <laughs> ones that are in there, but yeah, so we'll, so we'll be covering that, including like you know whatever kind of cheating scandals or what all kinds of stuff. So. Um, just kind of like a, a true crime, darker side of sports kind of a, a podcast. No, that sounds like an interesting show. Right. And I, I did catch a, um, I did catch the Port show. I caught one of those. Yeah, that's a fun show. I think yeah. it's a really fun show with Stephen Gamma. A lot of interesting stuff out of that. I think it's going to, uh, it's going to continue to get better too. Um, each week we're going to be focusing on, uh, not focusing, but we're going to be bringing up a, a one ship and kind of talk about that particular ship so that uh, you have something to kind of look forward to. And um, the next one that we're, and I forgot when I was talking to Spence this morning, I forgot the name of the ship, but the next one that we're doing next week is the Yarmouth Castle. And Yarmouth Castle was a ship that uh, that caught on fire and, you know, they there was a rescue where, where some of the people were rescued and all that. But it's a really fascinating story it is it's a great story there's music involved everything it's, it's gonna you're gonna enjoy it now um on this is it gonna cover stuff from across the globe it's everything right mm-hmm. okay. oh yeah absolutely so are you guys gonna do the edmund fitzgerald at one point oh yeah edmund fitzgerald will be on the list okay yeah in fact i'm positive that edmund fitzgerald is at least mentioned in the next the next episode oh, okay yeah i, I remember that, that was a up. that was a really interesting documentary to watch that one i watched that one yeah that a was a good story good story yeah and a great song if you can get through all six and a half minutes of it yeah it's a pretty good yeah that's it that one goes long <laughs> but it really is it's a good story and then it gets like the thing about that song is the song the story gets uh, that's a weird weird pun but it does get deeper as the song goes on yeah as he's it goes like, on. He's asking, where does where does God's love go when the waves was, are turning minutes into hours? And, and that's the late, great Gordon Lightfoot, who just recently passed. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Or yeah, a couple months ago. Month, about two months ago, I think. Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe three. Yeah, that dude's body of work. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was amazing how much I didn't realize effort. how many he had. How many, and he had a lot of, like, hits. Yeah. A lot of them. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be fun. So, I'm sure we'll... Uh, when we do that episode, we'll probably play the song and discuss. Um, as you know, we t- spend time with uh, t- with uh, talking to Tom McGillan's brother, Tim McGillan. Okay. Um, who has done some dives out there and is in the Lake Michigan area, or yeah, the, the Great Lakes area. And um, oh, where was I going with this? Oh. Oh, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, I what was I talking about before I went into Tom? Oh, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh yeah, the, so the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, I don't know. I lost it. It was important though. Oh, and then the the diving. Yeah, he went. He did some dives. We oh, okay. we talked to him. Oh, that's it. Okay, so we're talking about the Edmund Fitzgerald song. That's it. So that Mariner's Cathedral. They mentioned in the song. Okay. He's actually performed because he does. Uh, he's he's a mortician. Oh. Okay. So he's actually done ceremonies there at the the the, the Maritime Cathedral. Okay. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's a really cool looking, a really beautiful place too. And then when Gordon Lightfoot in the song, they say that it, it rang twenty nine times. 
for the men of the Fer- Edmund Fitzgerald. Do you remember that? Yeah. When Gordon Lightfoot died, they did it again with 30 rings. One, oh, one for Gordon. for him too. Okay. Because he continued to kind of take care of the families. Because it was like all of a sudden there's all these families that just don't have dads, husbands. Yeah. They're just gone. No, that was cool of him. I mean, he had a hit song and he um, also provided for others, you know. Made good by it, yeah. Yep. I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the story that comes out of it because it's a, a very good story that comes out of next week's episode. I keep trying not to, to spoil it for people because I re- I want them to hear it in the true like, the, the way that we set it up. <laughs> it's a little discovery me and Tommy made that that hits close to home. Kind of cool. Uh, and um, did you guys talk about the Lajanel last yep, last week? Yeah, talked about Lajanel. Lajanel is kind of our home boat, so we talk about okay. that every episode a little bit. Yeah. And then did um, you guys go into detail about what happened in the eighties when they made it a video arcade or floating video arcade? Or did they make it a video? No, because no, okay. you say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just I just what, what had to the, throw that in. One of the because they well the whole thing was it was going to be a casino restaurant. Yeah, but the, or not a casino restaurant maybe a casino, but a, a hotel restaurant. And then um, apparently there was people on board. There was a couple of people on board, probably cleaning or whatever, when, when it uh, Oh, when capsized. the storm had capsized. Yeah, so they had to be rescued by helicopter. Now, what year did that thing capsize? It was, oh, I want to say it was the 70s. Oh, okay. I don't remember the exact year. Tommy's good with that kind of stuff. Tommy could tell you what kind of metal it was made out oh, of okay. and what yard it came from. <laughs> he could tell you where it was built. Uh-huh. Every, 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 all of these boats. He'll, if I show him a, a fascinating story, then he'll do the deep dive on it. Like he'll he'll, he'll go real deep. And and the one that I just saw the other day too that they're um, decommissioning the Enterprise, the aircraft carrier, the Enterprise. So that just went back oh. to Norfolk, Virginia, and is being decommissioned and deassembled and. Oh, they're going to actually take it apart. Yeah, they're going to get rid of it. Yeah, it's leaving the fleet is um, I wonder decommissioned. If I wonder if they'll make, because the, uh, the Hornet, they, the carrier the Hornet is in Oakland, and they made it into a museum, and you can oh, actually okay. spend the night on it. Okay, I wonder if that, they'll do the same thing with the Enterprise. That'd be cool if they do something like that. And I didn't realize the Enterprise was in so many movies. I mean, I'd, um, oh. I just saw another movie that was... Um, um, 1968, um, Lucille Ball and um, Henry Fonda, Yours, Mine, and Ours. Mm-hmm. They do have the Enterprise in that. I mean, it's a 1968 movie, but it was still a commissioned Navy ship at that time. Wow. And I think the Enterprise was also in uh, another movie called The Final Countdown. Interesting. Yeah, huh. so that, that's been in a lot of movies. I mean, they've used it. It's kind of crazy. When probably you... Topkin probably used it, too. I bet you they used oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it's kind of crazy when you look at that era and that, you know, the, the country just, they just took all the ships and they're like, these are, these are warships now, you know, La Janelle was a hospital for, yeah. you know, as was, was a transport and a hospital. Um, Queen Mary was the, not only was the Queen Mary uh, a transport, it was the biggest, um, or it, it transported the most people at one time that any vessel ever has when it, when it was taking people out to the war. Oh, okay. It's pretty crazy. That's a big boat. <laughs> you got you to think about that because that was, I mean, way before um, transcontinental um, aircraft and everything. So, I mean. I always think about that. Think about this. So, my Uncle Cleo was a paratrooper during that, uh, during that war. Like, imagine 
the technology for airplanes wasn't super dialed in at this point in the 40s, I don't think. Right? When did, when did the Wright brothers start flying? Um, I'm going to say that. It's like 1903, but I'm going to say um, New York to Paris happened about 1927. So you go 27 to 45, isn't that? Or 41, I guess, if you want to go back to the beginning of the war. Still you, fairly early. And yeah. then you're. So I don't know how many people were actually parachuting at that time. Could you imagine that, though? It was an unproven te- or not technology. Whatever it's, it was, like kind of an unproven thing. The one that I just saw recently too, um, because it was the anniversary of um, D Day, and you were talking about paratrooping. Mm-hmm. I never knew they made decoy paratroopers that were um, paratrooping dummies with smaller shoots because they figured they it was. I mean, it was only about a three foot tall dummy, you know. Oh, so they fell faster. The de- so the, that's where the gun. That's where all the gunfire went. Yeah, it, or was I'm um, actually decoys because they planned the invasion to be someplace else. So they wanted to confuse um, the the Germans at that time. Yeah. So the Allies planned another, and they would drop all these phony parachuting three foot decoys. And yeah. And and I guess people in Europe um, collected those because they're actually a collectible item. Is that decoy? You know, that parachuting decoy. You know? Oh, that'd be cool. I bet you... Um, we could put Bernie's face on one. I bet you Andy's got one of those, and he's got it as a ventriloquist dummy. He might. He very well <laughs> might. I love that. <laughs> he, he's got so much cool stuff. I, I watched one of our episodes that we had when we were doing Giggles during COVID, which were just um, a weekly Friday night episode, and Andy had so much cool stuff at his house. I remember yeah. that episode that he went through everything he had and was showing it. That was cool. We yeah. miss you, April and Andy, if you're out there listening. Yeah, he, he's and good. Morgan and Rush, uh, Roman, Russian, <laughs> Roman, <laughs> and Roman, one of my favorite Ventura local comics. I mean, guy. Yeah, he was. You know, he was featured in the the Ventura Star. Ventura Star. Yeah, not just one place. I think he was. I think he had a picture on the corner, and he was inside the star. He was in inside the What's Happening section that, <laughs> that month of October. He's doing some really cool stuff now. I'm so proud of him. He's such a good guy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to see him. They're out there in New York. They're doing their thing. It's just a, it's it's really cool to see. Because I mean, when I came into his life, he was a young dude. I remember when he turned 21, you know, and it was you know, and he was had this enthusiasm to be around comedy and. You know, a great I, I remember attitude. the first time I met him, I was with you, and we were downtown Ventura across from the Mission, and there was a open mic thing going on, a comedy thing. Yeah. And you did a set, but it was like there were three regular comics, and then that was just like um, a bunch of people came in, and it was like an open mic night, and that's when I first met Roman down there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're, I think, yeah. I think you're, yeah, because that was probably Adam Hunter's show, I think. I know exactly where you're talking yeah. about. I know exactly where you're talking about. It was in the Perianos, or, right? Yep, that yeah. was it, yeah. And that was early on, because I remember that one, and then it was around probably a, the same time frame, a couple of months later, was when Joe Rogan came up and did the the one at the Hong Kong Inn. Oh, yeah, that's that right. That was the fiasco where everybody was going to open oh, for Joe, man. everybody in town opened for Joe Rogan. I felt so bad. I, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Kat that was like, oh, I'm going to be opening for Joe Rogan. And I felt really bad. I'm like, God, nobody's going to be opening for Joe Rogan. Yeah. I don't think I told her that at the time, but I knew that Rogan's not really, wasn't going to want a million open mic yeah. comics in front of him. Yeah. It was like, and I remember just hearing, I mean, that was one of those ones that 
and it was definitely before Facebook. It must have been. Um, what was no, the, I think it was Facebook. It was early. Facebook. It was early? Facebook early. Okay. Yeah, it was definitely Facebook. Because I just remember seeing everybody posting that they were going to open for Joe Rogan. I'm yeah, like, there was yeah, a there's bunch. a whole boatload of people opening. Yeah, there was a bunch. Yeah, that was a miscalculation. Yeah, I can understand the wanting the comics to share. Hey, I've got this show and all that, but yeah, that get, that gets tough. <laughs> and, and Joe Rogan's actually got, got himself a really nice place right now in Austin, Texas. He's got the the mothership the out there, right? Comedy mothership. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I want to make my way out there. Uh, Steve Fury's been out there a couple times. Oh, okay. And doing great out there. So, yeah, uh, it looks cool. looks really interesting. Yeah, I've, I've got a grandbaby out that way, so I've got to make a trip out there. So I'm going to have to buy a house out there if California keeps up their crap. <laughs> oh, shoot, we better go. Um, oh. Say something funny. Oh, say something funny? Okay. Um, uh Stick around. We'll we'll be right back, <laughs> <laughs> and then someone will stick around, and we won't we won't be back. Have you heard about the the haunted Oxnard Walmart? The little girl who was in the toy section. No. Oh well, it would've been funny if you heard about that. There is a, the haunt, it's actually haunted, and there's like a supposedly a little girl. There's videos on YouTube and everything. I, I just don't know why you have to have a driver's license, but you only have to be eight years old to conjure up spirits on a Ouija board. What's exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> Living on the ledge. Kathy Bates dislocating kneecaps with a sledge. That's my misery reference. Terry's car was key during this episode. No, I... I'm, I'm the worst person for bouncing all over the place, so I mean... Well, but, getting, but you're getting better and better every time, like just like your comedy. That's and, what you're... And, um, the, the Joe Rogan thing was, was good because um, someone else was telling me, but doesn't Joe Rogan bring comics out to the mothership and they do a, like a podcast or they do a show? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. yeah they, they were telling, um, my son-in-law was telling me about that. I want to show you this. Um, so you remember the, what the Lodge Nell was most famously named, right? Yeah. The Bahama Star. Was Bahama Star, yeah. because yeah, it's, it's all of its great years were.
toaster needed Eggo waffle? Eggo grab and go Lee style waffles. Lego with Eggo. It's not in bad taste. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, a song of mine uh, which I've written, which is sort of like an epic, which I mean, it's, it's a story. And, oh, it's uh, nice because you get all the lyrics. For, uh, for Ian Tyson. Yeah, My God, you've written an epic. Oh, okay. So I'm calling it an epic. It's a song about a ship. It's going down well with the audience. That's right. This is the fucking greatest discovery ever. This song is about the cruise ship Yarmouth Castle, which sank uh, on the way from Miami to Nassau about six weeks ago, or two months ago. And uh, the thing about the ship was that it was registered in Panama, and uh, that way it avoided the American navigation laws for safety. The fire equipment was inadequate. And anybody that knew ships knew that it was an old ship and uh, that it should have been under repair, extensive repair, or it should have uh, been off the sea. And uh, the fact that the captain left the, the wreck at the height of the emergency caused a few eyebrows to raise here and there. So this and, is a uh, different song than Ed, the Edmund? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, okay. who were saved, and there were 85 people that went down with the ship, most of them trapped below decks. Um, the only reason they were saved was because the ship was being followed by another cruise ship called the Bahama Star. Oh, okay. Off the people. Isn't that crazy? They jumped yeah. Overboard. They went and saved like 300 people. This is a song. The captain was on the battle of the hero. He dropped the, uh, the lifeboats before he got there. Uh-huh. He didn't get it's any kind of mating. Okay, afternoon, the anchors have been From Miami to Nassau, she's bound across the waves. That's weird that the, um, so the Lajanelle that eventually went down was actually the ship that saved that. Now the many years she's been to see, she's seen the better times. She gives a groan of protest as they cast away her lives. And the grumble of her engines and the rust along her spine. So did this song come, come out before or after? Edmund's Whitfield. After. Okay. But the sands run out within her heart, a tiny spark glows red. And soldiers through the evening, there's laughter overhead. Well, the dinner's served and the cards are dealt and the drinks are passed around. While deep within the fire starts a burning. Now it's midnight on the open sea and the moon is shining bright. Some people join the party and others say goodnight. There's many who are sleeping now, it's been a busy day. And the tiny wisp of smoke is arising. Oh Lord, she groans, I'm burning, let someone understand. But her silent plea is wasted in the playing of the band. Oh, 
Everybody's dancing on the decks and they're having such a time. And a voice says, shut up and deal, I'm losing. Totally <laughs> <laughs> unaware of the fire. Deep within the Yarmouth Castle, the fire begins to glow. It leaps into the hallways and climbs and twists and grows. Now the paint she wore to keep her young, oh Lord, how well it burns. And soon that old fire is raging. Now beneath the bridge she's climbing fast, the captain stands aloft. He calls up to the bosun, says, bosun, we are lost. Now the ragged hose is in the racks, no pressure do they hold. And the people down below are a dying. All the midships, oh, she's blazing now, she's spreading fore and aft. And the people are scrambling as the fire blocks their path. Now the evil smoke surrounds them and they're falling in the tracks. And the captain in his lifeboat is leaving. That when I was thinking of that, it, it could have been that long ago. Wasn't there a dive ship that recently had the fire? Oh, killed everybody, yeah. Yeah, killed everybody. Which one was that one? That was out of Santa Barbara. That's right. That's, that's right. That was Santa Barbara. Yeah, there was also the... Um, have you ever heard of the... Most common side effects were nausea and sleepiness. Migraine pain relief starts with you. 
Ask about Ubrelvi. Learn how Abby can help you save. Something point up there where all those battleships crashed. Uh huh. Did you ever hear about that one? Uh huh. There's like seven battleships crashed. It was like uh the I think it was like the late. No, that's actually a good. They were they were supposed to be seeing how fast they could go from San Diego from San Francisco. Uh huh. To San Diego, and then they they got confused because of a tsunami and all this stuff, and they all fucking ran aground. No, oh. not a whole lot of no, no, this is actually good. This is a good topic, and it was nice that you get Tommy um, in there because it's nice because you get a, a young person's perspective versus somebody. He also finds a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have found. Uh huh. I found the I found this just because I was I was going through the Gordon Lightfoot library because we were. Tommy really liked the song Sunday. He loves that uh-huh. Oh, Sundown's a good song too. But yeah, so I was telling him, I was like, oh yeah, Sundown's pretty good. It's a good, ominous, uh-huh. I'm warning you, everything's gonna be fine until you start fucking around. You yeah. Know, fuck, it's a fuck uh-huh. around to find out song. And, um, and then I came across it and it's like, Jarmus And I remembered seeing a, a, a documentary that I hadn't watched, but a documentary about uh-huh. it. I was like, that was a boat. Because I wanted to know, did he do any other boat songs? Yeah, the, the, and I listened to it, and he said Bahamas Thorn. I'm like, yeah, that, that was kind of when I saw that, and I remember you tell me that was the one that was um, La Janelle was the Bahamas Star. Isn't that crazy? That's weird. Had all ties together with a, yeah. another shipwreck. Yeah, and the Gordon Lightfoot song. Of all, yeah, of all of Gordon Lightfoot song. Yeah, I would say he's definitely more season here than he was in uh-huh. so, this, so yeah the other one would have been before I think the Armored Castle God, how crazy is that there's a really good documentary about it that has like the majority of the interview part is either the captain of the Bahama Star uh-huh. or people talking about how good he was at his job like it was because he um he did. He did something that was uh, different. He lowered the um, he lowered the lifeboats before they got to the disaster, so that way they uh-huh. that way they just dropped them. And um, obviously, they he, he was pissed off at the captain the for leaving the ship because captains are supposed to go down the ship. Like, that's your, like you can't leave the ship until everybody has. You have to be the last one to leave. Was sailing from and, Miami um, to but when, when he when he pulled pulled up on it, uh-huh. apparently he like he put a, he put the lights bright on everybody, and he was like, "This is your captain speaking. I'm here to rescue as many of you as I possibly can." And um, one of the ladies on uh, that was being interviewed, one of the girls that was rescued, she's like, "It was the most beautiful voice I'd ever heard in my life." And she goes, "I that was the only that was the first time in all of that that I felt safe." And um, just the way they they talked about him, and he had been a captain. That's another one that they torched for the insurance money. I don't think that they expected um, so many deaths, but uh-huh. but I think they that one. I'm pretty sh- me and Tommy are both pretty certain that it was that was for do- intentionally done for insurance. That's another. That's another one of these fucking ships that was um, that was uh, registered in Panama. Oh, okay. So there's no real repercussions for it. It was a almost completely built, uh, almost completely wooden ship. So it burned. It was really good, though. 
was this uh, Captain Carl K. Brown, who was the captain of the Bahama Star. Like, they spent a lot of time talking to him, and so that made it even cooler, you know? Uh-huh. No, that was that was a good tie-in. I, I never knew that. I mean, that that was the ship that came and rescued that one, you know? That's the one. So if you look it up, look up this one. This one, it has a lot of the... Um, and it's like an old-school old documentary, so it's really good. Uh-huh. Old-school documentary style, you know? And so it's, it's just really good. And the captain is a instantly likable, but also authoritative presence. Uh-huh. Like, I, I was really impressed with that. In the middle of the night, <coughs> ocean, an eerie orange glow. Remember these voices when you were a kid? Yeah. A glow of heat, a glow of horror. Oh, and that's what we liked about it too. Is there's tons of footage of the Bahama Star. Oh. We we combed the internet looking for footage of the Bahama Star, uh -huh. and we could find very little to none. But then we find this, and all of a sudden there's the Bahamas Star bringing the survivors oh, to the okay. castle, and it's like, it was like, wow. No call for help so then I started looking for Yarmouth Castle and started finding a lot more has abandoned the ship. So the Bahamas Star came to the Southern California in the 70s, probably, right? And the families of those who died. And they wonder I want to say seventies were one of the ocean's worst accidents, or if, as some believe, the modern cruise ship is a floating dream, serene and sumptuous, and subject to stringent regulations that make this most luxurious mode of travel also one of the safest. But there was a time when a voyage aboard these maritime palaces was far more perilous, a danger made horribly real in 1934 when the Morrow Castle is engulfed in flames off the coast of New Jersey. Here are the first right. pictures of a terrible okay. tragedy of the sea, equaled only by those of the... That's, that's what's nice, is there's... They grounded in 70, April of 70. Oh, really? Okay. disaster causes the United States government to outlaw wooden decks and walls on all passenger ships that fly the American flag. But in the 1960s, international law requires no such safeguards, a risk of which passengers are never informed. Among this foreign fleet is the Yarmouth Castle, christened the Evangeline she is launched in 1927, her decks and cabins built of the finest hardwood. By 1965, she has been rewired and repainted countless times. And every weekend, she sails from Miami to the Bahamas, her passengers unaware of the perils of her dry wooden decks. It is a voyage of affordable luxury. $59 round trip. Oh, God. Uh huh. But her sailing of November 12th, 1965, will be a one way cruise to catastrophe.
this was uh, uh, just a few years before Bahamas started was decommissioned. Uh, and, and that ship was built in 27. That's amazing that, I mean, like mechanically it was still functioning. And yeah, that, that makes, I guess, I guess 35 year old ship, but still. Yeah, I think they, they are definitely usually. Oh, no, I was wrong. It was Captain Brown intends to follow a few miles behind the Yonkers on what should be a So it's about the same vintages launch. like this. Yeah. Brown served aboard the Yarmouth Castle before the ship's name was changed. So the Bahama Star was actually a wood deck ship too, right? What's that? It was a wood deck ship like they were showing, or a wood hull, or... You're going to change your lock. So here's the ship that um, I think the deck was wooden, but, I, uh -huh. but it was built, structurally it was metal. Oh, okay. And changes the name. We all made comments about it because the ship was tied up in Miami uh, at the time. And the day we saw them chiseling the letters off the bow Evangeline, somebody said, boy, they're going to be in for trouble now. Yeah, supposedly changing your boat's name for, without changing ownership is a, is, oh. is a bad... Uh, the Yarmouth Castle's Omen. name is new. <laughs> And so was her crew. That's what he was saying. There they, are Americans. They were walking by the yard and saw their change. Caribbean the Islanders, yeah, sailors from a dozen nations. Among the new the problem is, too, is that I think it had a bunch of, um, hired one like, day undocumented immigrants because they were doing the, hey, we'll get you on for 20 bucks. <laughs> we'll get you on for five bucks. That kind of thing, too. Welcome aboard. Take your boarding pass. Check your ticket. This guy was the other hero. But on the Bahamas Stars, it turns out, and said I was looking for a job as a purser, and they said, try the Yarmouth Castle. The ship. captain and, like, all his men, like, Somebody bailed, and this guy stayed and, like, helped people. So I went down and uh, spoke to the chief purser, George Vietes, and uh, I told him I'd had a lot of practical experience on ships. I basically just stowed away back from London to Montreal on the Empress of Canada. I didn't tell him I stowed away. He said, what was your last ship? And I said, the Empress of Canada. And so he said, fine, you're hired. <laughs> and uh, that was great. So we sailed that night into Miami. I got my uniform the next day and uh, was the next day it all happened. Kay and Marlene Thompson, the daughters of a senior Bahamian official, are returning home. Because we were sort of uh, frequenting nurse and that sort of thing and we did sail a lot, um, we got to know Captain Carl Brown on the Bahama Star and Captain Byron Boutsinas on the uh, Yarmouth Castle. Carl Brown uh, was a good friend of ours, and we dated for a while. Yeah, he dated all the motherfuckers. <laughs> that was another thing I'm learning, too. These captains were always like, they were like players, the yeah. Girl. Send a champagne to the table of the girls. You want to see the state room? These captains have a life. Or they did them. The day we were leaving on the Young Castle, Captain Boutsinas came to the uh, rail where we were waving bye to Mummy. And um, he told her not to worry. I'll take care of your girls. You'll be fine. All are about to share a nightmare that will haunt them forever. 87 will never see land again. At 5.45, the Bahama Star weighs anchor. A cargo ship, the Finpop, joins the two cruise liners. Later, 
It will take the lead on a calm, clear evening on a midnight cruise to paradise. Aboard the Yarmouth Castle, passengers settle in. The Goldmans of Miami won their tickets in a raffle. They bring along their two oldest boys. I was excited that I was going on this trip. I have five children, and I hadn't been anywhere for a long time. So this was exciting. Is that little Ronnie Goldman? You can tie it into the ocean. The rooms were a little small, and uh, with four of us, it was a little crowded, but uh, yeah, little Ronnie it's just really for sleeping. In fact, we could hear the rudder. <laughs> when the ship moved, the rudder would creak. We were right near the rudder. But um, since we had a uh, a donated cabin, we couldn't really complain. But there are a few less contented passengers demanding attention from Purser Terry Wise. When I got to the steamship company, I had the wrong tickets. The cabin I was supposed to get was not available, and they wanted to put me down below. I refused to get on the ship unless they would give me an outside cabin. Smart. Today, I realized I saved my life. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Probably fucking killed me. Yeah, so. <laughs> the Yarmouth Castle is cruising at a pace Poor that Martha. will put her in Nassau by morning. We went to dinner. I think we had the first sitting, and it was uh, something like turkey and dressing, and the boys were happy. They were eating. Captain Lutzinus sent uh, wine to the table for us. And then after dinner, we decided we'd go and um, see him and tell him thank you for the wine. And blow him. Yeah, and blow him. As we went to see him to thank him for the wine, right? cabin will become the focus of a mystery. No one will ever know what really happened in room 610. The Goldmans take a quiet stroll on the boat deck. I was the one at the beginning. I said, look at these lifeboats. They're painted so many times. I said, you can't even see the bolts. You remember that, honey? And I said, boy, boy, I hope these never have to go off. dating Captain Brown at the moment and um, when we left Captain Lutzinas I said well I'll go call Captain Brown and he was you know he was shocked he said well where are you and what are you doing where are you and I said I'm in front of you on the uh, Yarmouth Castle <laughs> and he says you didn't come on my ship I'll get you when you get back so uh, then we had a few more words and then I hung up and a little did I know we'd be seeing Captain Brown very very soon Joyce Palouche is settling into her cabin. Captain Vutinas has turned in. The Yarmouth Castle is now under the command of the second mate. It should be an easy watch. 
but nothing about this night will be routine. At 12.30, a watchman begins his patrol. He's assigned to inspect the vessel from top deck to bottom, but he carelessly fails to check one crucial corridor. later, the first hint of trouble. Smoke is pouring from the ventilation system in the engine room. Crewmen summoned the chief engineer, George Vazios. But Vazios does not think the problem is serious, and no one notifies the sleeping captain. The smoke could be coming from almost anywhere. The Yarmouth Castle's ventilation system is a labyrinth of antique pipes and ducts. The watchman continues his rounds, but he never enters the hallway where the fire is smoldering. inspection tour is over. The Armouth Castle has been on fire for three quarters of an hour, and no one on the bridge has been informed. Okay. Only a few crewmen and the chief engineer know of the danger threatening the passengers and crew on this midnight cruise. Still, George Vazios does not sound the alarm. He's certain that the fire is only a minor problem. It is a tragic mistake. Finally, at 1.10 a.m., as the engine room begins to fill with smoke, Captain Vucinas is awakened with the dreadful news. There is a fire on the ship, but no one can find its source. Captain Boutinus orders the general alarm. Can't have a very big window in there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't know where the fire is coming from. So, figure it out or get out. This is a time for leadership and action. But aboard the Yarmouth Castle, there will be a tragic lack of both. 
As smoke begins to spread throughout the Yarmouth Castle, Captain Byron Butsinas joins the chief engineer in a frantic search. In room 610, the storage closet, they find the origin of the flame. Crewmen attempt to extinguish How's a fire the fire. Okay. They are much too late. How's a fire starting to storage closet? For more than an hour, the fire has been gaining strength. A wooden stairway has become a natural chimney, drawing the flames up through the wooden decks towards the bridge and the radio room. The radio operator attempts to reach his station, but the room is ablaze. The Yarmouth Castle cannot send an SOS. And before Captain Butsinas can issue an announcement to abandon ship, the bridge is engulfed in flame. The Yarmouth Castle and her hundreds of helpless passengers are on their own. I guess it must have been around midnight or thereabouts. I heard all this noise and I woke up and this friend of mine was awake and she said, boy, that captain must be having some party. You can hear them breaking glass. <laughs> and I heard about 1 a.m., I, I think, uh, some noises and everyone's partying. And they were making more noise and I got annoyed because I said, you're gonna wake the kids. There was a lot of giggling outside the room, so I opened the door and there were these two boys. One was a young teenager and the other about 10 or 12. And I asked them, what on earth were they doing at that hour of the morning? Why were they making so much noise? And so the older guy said, well, the ship's on fire, and we don't have any life jackets. And I said, well, that's a very silly joke to be pulling at this hour. I said, Aww. you just don't do things like that. So he says, we're not joking. Okay, I can hear all this running, and everybody oh. kind of milling around outside or, or clearing out. So I hopped out of bed, I got dressed, and opened my cabin door, and just... Well, it was just thick, black, oily smoke just poured in. I remember my heart kind of skipping a little bit as I got out of here. And I said, wait a minute. I said, there's something wrong. And when I opened the cabin door, there was water, burnt pieces of lumber, and smoke. So I slammed the door shut, and I realized that the ship was on fire. Then someone knocked on our door. And we opened the door, and a porter ran in. He ran to our closet, he opened the closet, and took the life preservers and ran out. When he took the life jackets, I knew there, there was trouble. And uh, actually, I was ready to run out with the children, just in our uh, nightwear. And Every I said, day. no, hold up. Ships like this take a long time to, to sink and to burn. Let's get everybody dressed. And my friend, in the meantime, had been over by the, the porthole windows and could not do anything at all with them. They were just, he couldn't open them. And I went over, and I guess with the hope of God, they opened. And I stuck my head out, and I looked to the left, and the whole ship was just burning from the waterline up. I looked above me, and there was nothing above me. 
And the first thing I noticed was a gentleman that his skin was completely burnt. I didn't want the children to see it. It was so horrible. I had never seen anything like that. I couldn't see anything. I just thought, where am I going? Just in a mental map. Just opened my door and then just, and I fell down a couple of times. The smoke was just horrid. And anyway, I just kept my hand on the bolt of the wall and just kept going until I hit the stairwell knowing that I, I knew where I was then just by, by the field and finally emerged up onto the uh, upper decks. I ran into cabins on our way up and tried to scrounge life jackets and I did, we did fine. I found three of them actually and I put them on Betty and the two kids. So they had life jackets. As we were going up from the lower deck to the upper deck, it was a lot of smoke around. I was choking. I just couldn't uh, catch my breath. I thought that I'm a goner. There was a lady in the cabin next to me, and she had her life jacket on, and we were talking back and forth through the porthole windows. And the next thing I knew, there was a black gentleman who was leaning over, and they made a human ladder out of him. And he said, She wouldn't take off her jacket. And they never got around. She was more afraid of the water than the fire. And they never, I never saw her again. Eight miles ahead, the radar operator aboard the cargo ship Finpop notices that the Yarmouth Castle has stopped moving. The Finpop reverses course, but it will take her 45 precious minutes to reach the stricken liner. Aboard the Yarmouth Castle, Captain Butzinas has one hope left. The radio stowed in lifeboat number three, but it too is on fire. The heat so intense, the captain is overcome by the flames and the understanding that his ship is doomed. Some members of his crew said that at that point, he seemed to have a nervous collapse. of the confusion, Butzinas collects a few of his officers and climbs into one of the first lifeboats to be lowered from the burning deck. After firing a few flares, 
They rode toward the approaching Finpa. I don't know what he did. I know what he didn't do. But I don't, I don't know why. If someone goes into a state of shock, how can they be the leader that's expected? And how could anybody know that that was the way he would react? The Armored Castle is now a ship without a captain. A long night of terror has just begun. Two a.m. The luxury cruise ship has become a floating inferno. Five hundred and fifty passengers and crew are trapped in a desperate struggle for their lives. But our captain, God bless him, he was the first to leave the ship. And when I was on the deck, there he was, he and other crew members were in the lifeboat. And I have no idea where they thought they were going, but I know they were leaving that ship. I think it was a young British officer who pointed out, he said, there's a, there's a captain. I mean, can you believe it? There's a captain out in that boat there. I said, like, I can't believe it, but there he was. And it was with other officers, but really didn't have any time to think. Everything was happening so quickly. the wooden walls and decks of the 40-year-old liner. Then rages furiously towards the stern, where hundreds of passengers are huddled. Twelve miles away, the Bahama Star spots a strange glow on the horizon. Captain Carl Brown is called to the bridge. I saw a red smudge on the horizon. It didn't really look like a fire iron. My attention, so I had to look at it. Color started to smudge in such a way that I, I could tell it was a fire, and uh, we were heading for it anyway. We changed course a little, we increased speed. In his lifeboat, Captain Byron Vucinas of the Armored Castle approaches the cargo ship Finpop, which has already sent a call for help to the United States Coast Guard. The officers of the Finpop refused to let Vucinas and his crew on board. Captain Vucinas will always claim that he never meant to abandon his command, only to summon help and then return to aid in the rescue. I just couldn't believe it. There was certainly no direction. No officers shouting orders and no crew assisting. Just a great free-for-all. Everybody for themselves, basically. The ship was just like a tinderbox. Many, many layers of paint, and they were just basically exploding. The sprinkler systems on board didn't seem to work that night. Fire hoses seemed to have no pressure, just a, just a trickle. And uh, I believe that some of the davits and the lifeboats were basically painted stuck. The mood of the, the people on the deck was definitely terror because uh, it was so disorganized. Everything was disorganized. We never had a fire drill. We never had a warning that there was a fire. We never had a fire alarm. There was nothing. But some crewmen stay at their posts and become heroes. Uh, I mean, 
people are still screaming all the time and, and stumbling around trying to find each other. And I was at the same time trying to get people over the side, but other people, uh, they had to be forcibly pushed off the ship. I mean, I'd just pick them up and throw them over the side like you're going. And, uh, or uh, here, I'll help you up and then goodbye. Long drop. At that time, the fire was getting too thick and too heavy and we couldn't, um, there was nowhere to go and it was way down. Then someone else started screaming, don't get into the water, it's shark infested. And Marlene looked at me and I at her and I said, well, I just hope mommy and daddy know that we died before the sharks got us. And then all of a sudden, as though out of nowhere, this very tall man appeared. And he was very, very calm and he said, uh, there's a little ladder here which we had not seen before. And we looked immediately as he helped me over and the man had disappeared. He had gotten us to this sort of clearing on the deck. It was clear we could breathe and we could see the, the, the uh, bow of the ship up in flames. I mean, literally kind of coming towards us. And he said, you'll be all right here for a while. Stay here as long as you can. But you can get over the side. There's the ladder. Wait there. The lifeboats will come. We kind of think that he was our guardian angel because literally after that, everything, we started to, to get to safety. Up on the upper decks, we went to see if we could get into the lifeboat. And there were uh, two or three crewmen trying to launch the lifeboat. And I guess Betty and I and the kids got into the lifeboat. And while we were in the lifeboat, the lifeboat turned on its side. And uh, I lost my grip on Randy and I reached down and he had fallen, but fallen to the side of the lifeboat. And I remember reaching out and bringing the kids back onto the ship from this lifeboat because it was in serious danger of slipping or falling or going askew. I remember helping Mr. Goldman and handing him back the kids. And just before he left, I gave him my life jacket. I said, "Go with your, go with your wife and kids. Come on, get out of here. Go with them." And because he had been helping me throw things off, I said, "No, just get off with them. I'll be fine." Is this a crazy ass story? Yeah. Approaching the Yarmouth Castle, Captain Carl Brown of the Bahama Star can see lifeboats in the water and panic on the decks. We got our full crew on the job and swung out all our boats 14. So that by the time we arrived, we were ready to lower the boats. Aboard the Bahama Star, a passenger records horrifying images of fire at sea. At 2.25 a.m., the Bahama Star pulls alongside. <coughs> on the bow of the Yarmouth Castle and, and they were safe there. Just they couldn't go aft because the, this vicious fire was blocking their way so they had to go one end of the ship or the other. 
This is your captain speaking. I'll never forget that. He's like a, a knight on a, a big white charger. That's the, you know, <laughs> <laughs> my the, the white uh, Bahama star with all of her floodlights on. It was a big white ship. And he had all his lifeboats all down just above the water. And uh, Captain Brown got on a bullhorn and he said, I'm going to send the lifeboats over. Look, before you jump, don't jump into a lifeboat or don't jump on anybody's head. And so, <laughs> but a few didn't. And the man most seriously injured that we got on our ship had broken both legs and pelvic bones okay. and so on because he jumped and landed in a boat. I think he later died. Dude's intense, huh? Okay. I love him. We started to climb down those ladders. And we got down to the bottom, which was the waterline, uh, I guess is around the, the side of the ship. And I held on to that and also to the rope. And there were maybe four or five of us on that front ladder. And the lifeboats just kept coming in and out. And finally one came to the front and picked us up. And when it did, the debris from above fell right after we launched off from there. We went to the very stern, the very rear of the ship, and I called a, uh, a lifeboat. I called the people on the lifeboat, and they came to the stern, and I passed them a rope. Then I slid Mitchell down the rope, and Mitchell did a good job. And Randy nearly lost his footing, but he got down the rope, and then we slid Betty down the rope. And the children kept saying, look, Mommy, look at the fire, look on the boat. And I just kept looking back toward the Bahamas star to make sure that we were going to be saved. It was very hot, I thought. Is she going to blow up? Of course, at that stage, everything goes through your head. Finally, a lifeboat came by. And as it came towards the ship, it was rocking. And the people were so unsteady in it, and they were moving around. And it came up against the Yarmouth Castle and had hit the ship and had cut off someone's fingers. Mm. As we were rowing from Yarmouth Castle to find the star, I could look up and I could see through the portholes there were people running back and forth, but there were fire at the forward passageway and the uh, center passageway and those people were trapped. And we could see the shadows running back and forth. That's Passengers in cabins directly above the fire. There is no hope of escape from the suffocating smoke and the killing flames. In 1965, firefighters probably did not stand a chance in breaking out equipment and getting hoses on the scene and fighting the fire at that point. The fire would need to be detected in minutes. If not, the fire growth would cause a substantial increase in the hazard to the passengers and to the vessel itself. It would appear that the people who were trapped and died in that fire probably would have died even if an SOS had been sent out by the ship. Uh, most of the people who were killed in the fire were living in staterooms uh, around the forward staircase. Fire had started at the base of the forward staircase and got behind the wood paneling and got in the ventilation system for the galley or kitchen. That grease was burning, burning like a blowtorch. 
taken on to the Bahamas store. And as soon as we got on the ship, they gave us uh, they gave us a, a, a shot of whiskey, a pack of cigarettes, and a blanket. Oh, oh God. God. I remember those three things so distinctly. <laughs> sandwiches and, and liquor and things like that spread out. We weren't particularly hungry, but they had they had refreshments. Oh, that's right. It's the middle of the night. They're not going to be hungry. Uh-huh. But when I finally did go off, there was nobody else on the ship that I could see. Captain Brown was making from the, from the bridge of his ship, was indicating, like, get off. Jump into the water and get off now. Get off. So I kind of thought, well, I guess it's, now's the time. But uh, as it turned out, I went off a rope, and I landed right in one of his lifeboats. I didn't even get my feet wet. <laughs> that dude's a hero. By 4 a.m., the last survivors have left the Yarmouth Castle. I had hoped that everybody made it on deck. I didn't know that there hadn't been an organized evacuation. I didn't know that there were people already dead, burned to death in their cabins that never got out of their cabins. So we picked up everybody we could find, and that turned out to be about 374. I was talking to some of the people, and one gentleman in particular, uh, his wife had taken some sleeping pills, and. Um, he just could not move her. He ran out, hoping that it wouldn't be anything serious and that she would be okay. But she did die in the cabin. It was very sad, I think, a lot of the stories. And the passengers and the crew of the Bahamas Star could not have been nicer. I had a passenger offer me their cabin I went down, and I think I was in there for about 30 seconds and had to run out and get back on deck again. I could not be inside that cabin. Well, I, I was on the bridge, and Captain Boutsinas came to the bridge just shortly before his ship sank. And he said, I want to go back to the ship. And he was covered with soot and all. I said, your ship is going to sink. And then someone distracted me in some way and I looked away and when I looked back again he was gone I don't know why he wanted to go back because the ship was completely on fire from bow to stern he wouldn't have been able to do anything maybe he wanted me to know that he wanted to go back don't know what happened there ship was fully on fire. It must have been the, uh, the heat was drawing the wind, and the ship began to make a terrible moaning sound. It sounded like a, it sounded like a baby doll crying, except that it went on and on. And at exactly 6 a.m., the armored castle was completely burned. It just rolled over and sank. And the ocean was completely clear. It was just like a human. And she she would go like this. You could see her going down, sinking. But it seemed like an old man that was on his last breath. 
It was very, very graceful and very, very quiet, very peaceful. Like at last she found peace, you know. And there were only three things there were three empty lifeboats. And that was it was very, very moving actually. She would come to rest eighteen hundred feet below the warm Atlantic waves, holding forever the bodies of eighty-seven people, leaving the mystery of whether her loss was an accident or arson. first light, the most badly burned casualties of the Yarmouth Castle are evacuated by Coast Guard helicopters. The Bahama Star carries other survivors to Nassau and the end of their ordeal. So this is the footage that you were talking about? The, yeah, this is okay. the actual Bahama Star. Isn't that cool? Uh-huh. Nearly 90 people have gone down with the ship. Have you gone to the Bahamas story? No. Never? No. Well, yeah, I, I'm going to say, because it's out at Silver Strand, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's out at the very end, though. You have to go uh -huh. looking for it, kind of. Got the casualty figures. Right. Especially now. You don't see it unless you go right up on it. Did not get out. And one question torments the survivors and the families of the victims. How could a fire in a storage closet cause such destruction and loss of life? Who's the cause of the fire here? We don't know, and uh, you'll have to ask them. They know. I understand they know exactly where it started, and they know where the, um, uh, who, they know who uh, reported the fire the first time. <laughs> he just wanted to say he said it. The and sisters are reunited with their parents. A rumor has already spread. The fire was not an accident. We think perhaps it could have been prevented, the fire could have been prevented, had the crew known in time. But um, on the other hand, we also think if it was uh, arson, it was done properly so that no one would know. There was a lot of speculation in uh, NASA chatting to then other crew members that I was meeting there. And, and, and everybody seemed to uh, have different ideas and stories, but the one rumor that kind of kept cropping up was that it was probably set, that uh, it almost had to be where it was located and how fast it went. Within a week, the Coast Guard convenes an official inquiry in Miami. Experts testify that aging ships like the Yarmouth Castle were floating disasters waiting for a single spark. We have for years been pointing out that these vessels are unsafe. One of the things about this vessel that the passengers couldn't possibly have known about, but which we have complained about, is that they are not required to meet the safety requirements that American vessels are. Protected from American safety regulations by their Panamanian flag, the Yarmouth Castle was a legal fire trap. But how did the fire start? Captain William Kessler was a member of the inquiry. The theories about how it started was that this room 610, where the uh, fire started, had been used as a storage area. It had mattresses in it, but it had also a naked bulb, light bulb, and naked wires leading to that light bulb. Oh, geez. And that was the one theory that the mattresses came in contact with the light bulb. But how actually it started, we weren't able to pin that down. 
the real problem was the watchman not uh, finding the fire and smoke on his rounds. And apparently there was fire and smoke at this time. The Coast Guard is critical of many of the crew's actions. The failure to detect the fire earlier. The failure to sound a general alarm. And individual acts of negligence and cowardice. But what draws the harshest judgment is the captain's desertion at the moment of greatest danger. It's possible that the fire was discovered earlier and it was decided not to give the general alarm so as not to frighten the passengers. No, absolutely not, because when they called me, when I, while I was sleeping, I didn't know what kind of fire it was, or I don't know anything. As soon as they told me the signs of fire, I ordered the, uh, the alarm signal. Each one on his test, so commanding each one his own station. There was no way to give any more orders. The orders have, have been given already. The uh, huh. board of investigation. I gave the orders so it's time to get out of there. actions in leaving the vessel were negligent. He did not exercise the command responsibility that was expected of a captain of a vessel, and his whole actions during that period <laughs> were not laid out. what would be expected. Passenger vessel master. As a foreign national, Butsinas cannot be charged with negligence by American authorities. But his career as a passenger ship commander is over. And to this day, he refuses to talk publicly about the disaster. In the 1990s, fire science achieves new expertise, leading to a more accurate analysis of the destruction of the Yarmouth Castle. What probably killed the people in their cabins on the Yarmouth Castle was that the smoke had trapped them and could have even come into the rooms before they even got out of bed. As the fire grows in the, the compartment of origin, it reaches a point where the entire room involved and that's called the point of flashover. It is very difficult to fight the fire at this time because of the large amount of heat that's being generated and the large amount of smoke that's leaving the compartment. But how did the deadly blaze start? Captain Butsina suspects arson and he is not alone. So I've always maintained that there probably was a good chance that it was uh, that it was deliberate, and it was something that got totally out of control. I don't think it was meant to happen. He obviously was in on it. Or he no. was either helping everybody. Yes. Yeah. He would have known it was doomed. If the fire was a deliberate criminal act, causing the deaths of ninety souls. It is unlikely that the arsonist will ever be brought to justice. Whatever its cause, the catastrophe forces a rewriting of the rules that govern the cruise ship industry. In 1974, as a result of the Yarmouth Castle disaster, 
the international regulations were changed, which prohibited the use of wood in the walls and the decks of the vessel. Also, the regulations required that the route to the lifeboats be enclosed and protected with fire. You'll see a little fire break out in the engine room, a little fire break out in the storeroom, but you won't see the ship swept by fire the way the Yarmouth Castle was. The regulations today more proactively address prevention as opposed to rescue after the fact. Today, cruise ships are built of fire-resistant materials, rigorously tested in modern laboratories. And at the Coast Guard facility at Mobile, Alabama, ships are set on fire to test new construction techniques and extinguishing agents. Fires to prevent fires. It's just, just one of the yeah. just to light shit on fire Accident and put it out. sinkings and tragedies that uh, resulted in uh, kicking off this uh, SOLAS, SOLAS, or Safety of Life at Sea. Uh, no matter what flag, they have to meet very stringent U.S. Coast Guard criteria. So, no, I really don't think that uh, this is going to happen, certainly in North America again. of that awful night have not been forgotten. Captain Carl Brown receives a commendation for his role in the rescue of hundreds of survivors. And in 1995, the Coast Guard honors the heroism of Purser Terry Wise, who by then has spent his life as a professional sailor. Even now, many of the survivors of the Yarmouth Castle find it impossible to forget that night of horror. Oh, I see some yeah. faces of some people. I see that lady's face in the cabin next to me sometimes. And she shouldn't have, she shouldn't have perished. These people should, nobody should have died on a ship. Nobody. A waste of life. I did not want to look at a boat. I didn't want to go near the water. It was a good 15 years, I would say, before I took, not a cruise, but I went on, started to go on smaller boats. I would get up in the night and I'd go to break my bedroom windows because I was trying to let people out. And mommy, bless her soul, she'd always be checking us every 15, 20 minutes. She couldn't sleep for the first few weeks that we were back. She had to keep looking at us to make sure we were there, we were all right, we were still okay. I can just see the ship on fire and I can still basically smell acrid smoke. And uh, I can put myself right back against, the, the, right on the boat deck by that rail so easily and uh, still see it very clearly. The era of ships like the Yarmouth Castle is finally over. A deadly season of water, flame, and fear. That's so insane. Yeah. That still blows me away that that, um, 
that that ship that picked him up is the one that capsized, or I mean, is offshore here, you know? Yeah. You the, should go, uh... The Bahama Star. Me and the kids will probably go Friday evening, or probably Friday evening, I'm guessing. Oh, no, that's right. They have hockey. Probably has hockey. No, no, he doesn't have hockey on Friday evening. He's on Saturday evening. Yeah, so we'll probably go Friday evening. I can't you want to check it out. It's kind of cool. It's really relaxing, though. It's like, uh-huh. really, like when I get out there, I don't want to leave. Like we, It's like a really cool little area of uh, Ventura County. You definitely kind of feel like you're alone out there, you know? There's so much fun. And the big boats go by. I got my niece coming out here this weekend. Oh, yeah. Arizona, her and Tim are coming out. Well, we go almost every week, so whatever. But if yeah. you want to bring... You want to bring them out? You should. Yeah. It's the end of a four-month um, village across the, the Pacific. They're, they're, they're coming out here. I think they're here for a wedding on like Saturday. As long as they're capable of, you know, walking like uh-huh. half a mile without too much trouble. There's a little bit of sand walking, but not a lot. So it's really exciting to, to get yeah, I'm supposed to go to Margaritaville in Moore Park on Saturday. Oh, the great reception. The play. Yeah. Oh, did you win it on KBTA? Uh, um, we, we got it given to us from last time because we went out there to see Little Shop. And then we got it. Um, they cut us a good deal. Oh, Ken Razor? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah so I'm just like, yeah, we'll come back out. Oh, that's cool. I'd love to get you in there. I'm going to take um, my mom with us, too. When you're, uh, when you're there, you should talk to Ken Razor about it. Hey, you have uh, Tom yeah, it's clean comedy. It's uh, so Ken Razor, and the guy's really nice that does it, but he's out of San Diego. Um, but um, it's a clean comedy. They went, the two of them are like friends from high school or college or something, but they've been friends for a long time, so he's not that guy's not leaving, but I don't think that they've ever made any money on it. No, I think, I think uh, Jason Love at one point was doing comedy with them and drawing 12, 13 people. I think we'd be good there just because of the... Uh, yeah, and also, we haven't done anything up in that area. And then I have all those hockey rink people to draw from. I used to live in Moore Park for a while. Not that I have a lot of contacts. We got married. 2007, we moved to Moore Park. 2009, we had Tommy. 2010, we bought the house. 2011, we had Maddie. And then 2020, shit just started fucking falling apart. (laughs) (laughs) When did you go to work for the station? When did you first start working for the station? Was it 2015? We were trying to figure it out. It was about then. It was about seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I had almost exactly four years before COVID. It was almost exactly four entire years. It might have been a little bit over four years. But it was really close, like, to the month. So, oh, it's crazy. I need to start getting back on stage this, the next couple of weeks, too. Okay. Dude, good shows. Yeah, thank you. Dude, I'm glad you stayed and watched no, that. I think no. I, that 
tell me that shit isn't crazy though. That's yeah. why I didn't say it. I didn't want to say it on Spencer's show. I was like, no. we got to save this for the Giggles Live Radio. Yeah, no, no, that, that is. That I is. told him a little bit. I didn't have still. I'll probably tell him about the. Because uh, I haven't told him about the Gordon Lightfoot part. I'm going to tell him oh, about the Gordon okay. Lightfoot part probably, probably tomorrow. Oh, that'd be, that'd be good. Yeah, the yeah, something that like an on air stir yeah. that kind of a thing. But yeah, because uh, that's our next shift that we're talking about. Uh-huh. Is. Oh, no, no, yeah, so next week's episode, we already recorded it, that's Yarmouth Capital. And then the, um, the third episode is going to be the Californian, which is the, the one that should have helped the Titanic. Is, um, Gama on tomorrow? Yeah, he's on Thursdays, too. Okay. He's is on Thursdays, and then me and Tommy will probably go to his place either this week or next week and record a couple episodes. Because I know Romney, uh, th- uh, I know Romney's on tomorrow. Try to get out there at some point. Maybe we'll try to coordinate.